you know, one of the first rules in life, never apply the same playbook just because you know it. Understand what was the context of that playbook and why was that a great move at the time? And can you reuse some of that then? Or do you need to adapt something because the context is different? Welcome to a slice of SaaS, your go-to resource for insights on SaaS revenue operations. In this episode, we sit down with Egil Östus, who is the CEO and co-founder of Unleash. And we'll explore how Unleash has successfully navigated the open source landscape to deliver a feature flag management solution that resonates with enterprises. More specifically, we're diving into how to blend the best of open source software with a enterprise sales organization, all while keeping your developer community happy and engaged. So get ready for a session full of actionable insights and tips for SaaS leaders aiming to enhance their product offering and drive growth. So let's dive right in. So Eagle, you've navigated the very complex, or at least I would imagine very complex dynamics of combining open source with uh, like a sales-led enterprise uh, offering. Especially like me coming from a sales background from HubSpot, I would imagine that both internal and externally, it might cause a bit of challenge to pull that off. So it would be really interesting to start by hearing a bit like high level on your experience and insights from combining those two very distinct go-to-market models. Absolutely. It's a very good question. There's a lot of kind of angles into that. So maybe maybe start kind of just introducing briefly open source and, and how why open source and, and how does this come into play? So open source basically is meaning we are giving away the, the source code for free. So for, for this conversation, I think we should just think about it as kind of a freemium model. I, If I may kind of introduce another angle as well to this, uh, we are also selling uh, developer tools. So we are selling to software developer, which is to, to a lot of extent, I would say a special kind of people to sell to uh, or they do, basically don't want to be sold to. Uh, so I think actually the open source model per se works very well in this category. And the open source part is basically giving away the tool, right? So it's free. Uh, there is multiple ways to kind of wrap that into kind of a more commercial model. What we have decided to do is what is referred to as an open core business model. So what that means is we are giving away sort of the entry level part of the product and we have decided to have gated features for where the commercial part kicks in. So um, you asked about the challenges, dynamics, internally as well as externally. And let's start on the internal part because for us uh, starting up this motion, it was very important to be very clear from a product strategy point of view, which one or where does this product bundle, meaning the open source fit and what is the kind of the buyer persona and what are their needs uh, compared to moving up to sort of the the self-sell and, and, and what is the most interesting one that you touch upon the sales-led enterprise sales, right? So for us, it was the, the tension that you sort of point towards uh, was something we identified very early. So we decided also for that very reason to start this from day one, meaning we have an open source product, we have an open source uh, or open core business model. So let's start with kind of go to market as an enterprise led type of sales motion. And, and it was a handful of reasons to this because it's an open source. The beauty with the open source is that it's 
uh, or at least uh, our approach to this, is that the product was already out in the market. So we first had an open source project. It was built because of a need and it was already out there in the market and it was already an audience. And based on the feedback from the audience, meaning who was uh, reaching out, what type of companies, what type of personas, it was quite clear to us that for our product, open source uh, product, uh, we were seeing a lot of traction from the larger enterprises. Of course, if our early conclusions were that we were a better fit for, you know, the, the, the digital first startup type of companies, obviously we wouldn't go with an enterprise-led uh, sales motion on top of that. So it's sort of depending on on the situation, on the category, on the market, and, and on the cap capabilities of the product, I would say. So, so number one for us was defining clearly uh, who are we selling or what is the best persona, what is the what is the needs we are solving for each of the product bundles. So we think of the open core as an or open open source as an product bundle. So it's part of a three tier bundle, uh, and and start identifying what is sort of the needs and 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 what is the value that we can create for the enterprises that you need to keep gated for a kind of a commercial point of view. And I think that sort of translates quite, quite well into how to navigate that also externally, because for us, it's uh, important to be very upfront uh, and clearly communicating towards our market. So this is the needs or this is who should be looking for the open source. Um, so like for us, open source is uh, individual developers, smaller groups of developers, not really a need for, you know, the enterprise compliance, the enterprise security with the single sign-on, with the role-based access control. Uh, you have limited number of, you know, project environments, which is important for developers and other kind of very large-scale needs. Uh, and soon as the open source and this forces or allows the developers to start using our tool, get used to it, sort of do their evaluation, do they enjoy working with our tool? Is it great or is it not great? Does it fit their needs? And as soon as this is sort of scaling to more, you know, bigger, more teams, more developers into kind of being a more kind of an enterprise uh, capability or, or tool per se, uh, the gated features is sort of triggering that sort of commercial need and and. Some is coming because they need the SLA, they need to kind of have a proper MSA in place. Some is coming because of the features and, and it's a very interesting dynamic. So how, like, how does that journey work then? So like you mentioned there that you have the, the freemium, like basically like a freemium model with it sounds like a bit of kind of a product led growth there as well, where you have some gated content, you're getting people to start using it. Would that be two very distinct personas that you would have, or would it be developers within an enterprise that would start using the tool and then, you know, kind of land and expand from that? Or is it just two very distinct personas and two different distinct groups? No, I think that we are seeing that the personas is yeah. pretty much the same, I would say. So, so our go-to-market is basically grow our open source community, make that available, uh, build a perfect open source tool for the needs of kind of a large, sorry, a, a small, small scale need. At the same time, we are still seeing that it's sort of the, typically it's the the champion on our end is, is would be kind of an, a principal developer, maybe a, a senior architect, maybe an tech lead type of persona. Um, I would say referred to as a middle management type of, of persona in, in a large corporate. So, 
director of engineering or maybe even a v, uh, the champion would not be a VP as would be that the economical buyer would typically be an, an, an uh, VP engineering. And it's typically the same type of persona that is testing out the tool that is sort of uh, ending up being the champion in, in the enterprise sales process. And another big thing here that kind of tying into this as well, like with uh, the open source and do you have like an internal development team or is it purely open source? Like how do you balance the kind of open source you mentioned there with developers, very opinionated, a lot of them. I know a lot of developers myself and trying to sell to them. I have that discussion a lot sometimes with some developers, but the business got to do something to sell their stuff, you know, but they're, so there's a lot of opinions, right? And, um, Oh my goodness. Uh, it's a very opinionated audience for sure. So I would say there is a few areas and, and I think this is also where it's, this is very difficult. This is not an easy task for sure. So basically you have sort of two distinct needs. You have them, the needs for the, think of it as the developer, the purist that is saying this is community. It's supposed to be free. I think that initially we thought that was being a stronger force. Uh, than it ended up being. And the reason for saying so, we find that most developer has a strong, I mean, developers tends to be smart people. So they understand that you are in business. They understand that there is a need for you to make some money to kind of make the project survive. Uh, so I think that is uh, uh, an important takeaway. So, but going coming into this and balancing these two needs, some of the it was a few kind of of, uh, of uh, measurements we put in place quite early. So one of them was saying, okay, we need to, regardless of open source or not, but I think this has sort of also supported us in making sure we are balancing this needs good. We need to make sure we do have the net promoter score in place. So kind of very early on, one of the first hires in a company was like our quality expert on NPS or customer journey. So for us, it was uh, important to have an individual that was, purely focused on taking care of all of the frictions that will be between the open source and the commercial, between the customer success team, the product team, and the sales team. There is always going to be frictions along the customer journey one way or the other. So we decided very early on to have like a senior person in the management team with this this sort of, this is the KPI, this is your kind of responsibility. You are the think of it as the voice of customer. Uh, and And it's a bit of an I've seen this role getting more and more uh, common in management teams, but it's not a very common role to have, to my experience, in, in, in most product organizations. They should have, but, but it's um, not necessarily so. so. So that was number one. So keep kind of a close eye on the net promoter score. That will tell you a lot of what is going on there. And the second part is basically, it's about being very focused around your project management, uh, sorry, uh, product management, because... Uh, you will always have the conflict in any product organization. Where and how do you prioritize your product uh, product capabilities, or or, or what, where do you take the product? So, so what we decided to do for us was basically saying we want to have a very clear product vision. So for us, sort of, we have a clear product vision. We are this. We are a product company. So so that sort of should go without saying. And, and and supporting our product vision, we have identified also what we refer to as our strategic areas for the product. So we are saying for the product, we need to develop the product in certain directions. So for us, it's a developer experience. It's a very important pillar. Uh, we are here to serve enterprise businesses. So operational excellence is very important for us. 
and and using the strategic areas for the product, it allows uh, the product management team to quite clearly make prioritizations on do we develop the product in the direction where we want it to be. And of course, then the second part is also how do you balance the enterprise needs versus the open source needs. So one of them, it's clearly coming from uh, from the Netto Model score. So we see every now and then is sort of dropping. Uh, it's quite strong. So in general, we average around, I think, uh, in the 60s, which is super, super good. But also we see that there is scores coming. So we can see from open source customers, one of the early feedbacks we got was sort of, okay, features are good, but the documentation is not really there. So that was sort of a repeated theme. So for us, it was quite important to strengthen the the documentation piece of that, like one very concrete example. And it's also come back to kind of who is sort of the voice of what type of customer. So we have the VP of Romeo, obviously is always very focused around what is needed to sell uh, and our CTO, CPO and my co-founder coming from the open source environment, uh, very much focused and taking care of and, and, and protective of the open source. And I think this is having these two strong personas in a management team supported by our customer journey, uh, head of customer journey is sort of, it's a good setup. And of course, the, the end of that to make that work is, uh, building a team and not individuals. So for me as a CEO and, and, and head of this, this company, it's really important that we have one team. We are partners. So it's not like you as my VP of revenue are only measured on the revenue. Of course, that is the KPI. That is sort of the, the make it or break it for, for, for him and, and as well as the company. But then again, it's if we cannot have a partnership where my CTO uh, or so it's, it's, which is acting as sort of the decision maker on the on the product side uh, doesn't really understand the business side and the business side doesn't really understand the importance of the open source and the trade-offs that we are constantly doing that then we will start breaking down a company so i think it's a mix of many things you need to sort of have the structure in place you need to have some of the key responsibilities in place and by I, any company you need to have a very strong team i believe in a team and i believe in anything else the team is always important than anything else uh, to me. I'm just, I, I'm starting to get too many questions here because it's really interesting. There's so many interesting points here uh, to go into. So, but yeah, I would definitely like imagine that, especially like the way you've structured it with the kind of open source combination, that it's even more important with that alignment and people really need to understand um, like what's going on, what are we doing anyways. So one thing I want to go back to a little bit there is with the the kind of freemium model there, like one experience that I have sometimes is you just feel that, oh, this is just designed to get me started. And I know that within a week, I'm just going to upgrade if I want to use it. So there's no, not even a point starting with a free version because it's so limited. So how do you think about the, like getting a, like an open source model, like a product that is not so limited. So it feels like a kind of a trick, so to say, to just get people to buy and getting it useful, like, and actually having a natural journey. You mentioned SLAs and some of those kind of more enterprise features, but how, how do you come to a good conclusion there in, in terms of what to do and how to do it? Oh, that is really hard. Uh, but it comes back to, I think that is, that is going to be one of our challenges moving forward as well as, uh, uh, because it's sort of, it's tempting to put a lot of gated features because, you know, it drives, uh, or at least initially it, looks like it will drive a lot of commercial value. Uh, so one of the sort of the, uh, let's say, uh, 
rules uh, that we have put in place or guidelines for us. It's sort of saying, uh, so for us, trust is really important value for a company. And also we are thinking a lot around what does that mean? So for us, trust means if you as a developer are using our open source tool, uh, you need to have trust in us to not start pulling out features to kind of start to push you towards a commercial one. So we are putting a lot of effort into saying that uh, we can never take away capabilities that is in the open source, even though it could possibly lead to some short-term value for commercially uh, that's That's sort of leading to trust. Trust is hard to, to, everybody knows, it's hard to build and it's really easy to kind of ruin. So so that's rule number one. And, and because of that, we are also always pushing new feature where we don't really know where it should sit to the enterprise first, which means that when we are in doubt, is this something that should be on a commercial gated feature or is this something that belongs in the open source? If it doesn't really, if the conclusion is really clear because of the personas and the needs we're trying to solve, we put it in enterprise first. And what that, does that lead to? It leads us to us as a company to give something to the community. So it's sort of better perception for us saying, okay, uh, we had like one very early feature. It was very much kind of a, a requested one. It was sort of a very technical, what's called a strategy constraint. So we don't really need to go bother that mean, but it was sort of a very important feature for the product. So for us, it was a, a lot of pull. We put that in the enterprise version. And for us, it was sort of for us to build up that sort of the number of gated features. But over time, we saw that this feature was really solving the need of the open source users. And it wasn't really anything tied to the enterprise needs per se. So we could keep it there to kind of just have that commercial value uh, and, 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 and push towards commercial. But we decided for that purpose of saying, okay, let's be true to our promise to our open source community and, and allow that to go into the open source. So for us, it was sort of we could do a big announcement saying, hey, we are giving something for free to the community. This is some our gift for you guys. It's uh, It was a gated feature. Now it's free. And, and here you go. And, and enjoy. And ever since, we have sort of seen that I think about an annual basis, we are doing those small kind of give give back to the community. It feels good for a company. It's uh, It builds credibility on the open source. And we are sort of using this sort of way of how the features are putting into the product in a way that I dare to say it, it gives a positive spin. Obviously, we do see from a certain open source purists that they'll say, well, it doesn't make sense for you to take. Don't make this open source immediately. And of course, you will just need to accept that. But uh, I think that is some of the, the measures and guard uh, guards we have put in, in place to kind of try to avoid that uh, challenge. But it's not easy yeah, for sure. It's, I think it's like that balance that we talked about here with like, user growth versus revenue because sometimes if you put too much limitations you're going to stifle the user growth but as you said like the short term you might benefit in terms of uh, some additional revenue but a question that i had here as well like that just came to mind like so say that i'm a sales like so we're i'm a part of the sales team here and one of my favorite products i would imagine that could happen sometime you mentioned there that um that feature that you launched it for enterprise first and all of a sudden like maybe one of my main selling points for the paid product all of a sudden is free so i would imagine there would be like a big challenge with um like really making sure as you mentioned before everyone is aligned and also training the team to really be very 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 focused on the customer experience and and, and things like that or is that something you've kind of seen uh, and if so how do you kind of work with that yeah 
I would be a bit bold here and say, if that is the case, you probably have a very weak commercial offering. Uh, so we haven't really seen that sort of, so, so we are obviously trying to avoid and like everybody should to, to sell on features. So every now and then you go into sort of a featured war. Um, but I would say if you're dependent on individual features, it's probably not going to be a sustainable competitive advantage for yourself. Right. So, so for us, it's sort of focusing more on what is really the needs, what is really the kind of the challenges, pains that we are solving for the customers and what is sort of the bouquet or the, the number of features that together will deliver that capability or what are the capabilities in a product more than anything that really uh, help you to solve that pain and, and reduce that sort of uh, challenge for, for you as a customer. So, no, we haven't really seen that. I think that individual features very, very hard to build uh, sustainable competitive advantage on individual features, probably, but it's not like a long term, it's sort of for a short period of time. And, you know, if if there is this killer feature that everybody just wants, I'm pretty darn sure that the competitors will develop that as well. Nice. Okay, so you haven't seen either shot that it could be like annoying because yeah, developers have a lot of opinions and sales also have a lot of opinions. So <laughs> like thinking sure. from kind of my, my experience, like I haven't specifically had that myself as an experience, but I just thought that it might be something. But it's good to hear that uh, you you don't have that. Another thing that we touched about that, I think that was really interesting with the customer journey and that you actually, one of your early hires was someone who can kind of map that out, uh, which I, I could definitely imagine that that would be really, really important from the kind of go-to-market structure that you have and that I would say more and more companies are going towards the kind of PLG motion. Besides you mentioned their MPS, but what would you say like would be some of the big things that you kind of uncovered and worked your way around in terms of removing friction throughout the journey to create like a really good customer experience? I would say it's so many things. My, I would say my, our experience to this is basically that anytime there is a handover internally, there is going to be a friction point externally. So like uh, when you have a handover from sales into customer success, that's, um, well, it depends on how you structure the company. We have decided to structure the company in a way where customer success is not part of sales. Uh, so there is two individual managers in the management team. One is responsible for customer success. The so other you said the, that they were in the same team or not? I kind of... They were not. Exactly. Yep. We're not. So it's one responsible for customer success and one one uh, yeah, responsible for yep. revenue. And, and and that handover is definitely causing frictions for the customer, not because we want to or that there is an intention to or that they are not working great together, but just the fact there is these items matter. So, so having this customer journey mapped out and sort of doing, so we are doing um, an Epimoto score, as you mentioned, we are also doing uh, CSAT or the customer satisfaction scores. We are doing, I can't remember all of that. I think we're using four different ways of measuring this. Built into the tool, also part of our customer success conversation, we also measure this. We also support team is measuring this. So we are very focused on receiving this feedback on any areas and and soon as we are identifying that there is a friction point, uh, it's sort of uh, very important for us to go back and saying, okay, how can we improve that? The, the, the friction point could be 
just know we are not aligned on how we refer to a naming convention, right? So we refer to one thing here and another thing there will mean the same thing. And you as a customer ends up being a lot of fuck is going on. Sorry for my English, uh, because it's sort of really confusing. That's sort of the simpler things. But it's, it's again, coming back to having this one person on a team responsible for the customer journey. Where, and I think also it's important because I think, or at least my personal experience from past software and product teams is this customer journey mapping usually happens inside of the product, kind of, you know, closer to the team or more distant from management where you, so for, for me as I'm coming in and, and starting this company and also being the CEO of the company, it's really important to have the voice of the customer journey at the table when we are doing the budget conversation, when we are doing kind of the KPI conversation, whenever we are doing the kind of the key prioritization questions, I want that voice at the table speaking up saying, hey, there is something with the handover of the top of funnel into kind of the, the nurturing element of the funnel because there is, seems to be, and, and then kind of going in more detail and sharing that that, that level of, of, of insight because everybody's so focused on doing their thing. So marketing very focused on the top of funnel going into creating the the, the, the leads, obviously, and generating pipeline sales, very focused on doing their things, closing deals, both of them really good, but the handle there, uh, having another person just saying and measuring everything from start to end of the customer lifecycle there is, I would say, make it a record for, for how I'm building a company. And how do you kind of internalize that? Like, how do you work with, you know, because you have the high level person and then you would have sales and marketing and like... I would guess there's, again, a lot of things and insights and learnings and getting all that information across to everyone and having that's not just the external feedback with MPS and CSAT, stuff like that, right? But also the internal feedback and discussions. Yeah. Like how how do you work around that? And, and oh, the never-ending uh, yeah, challenge, really I think, for most companies <laughs> to get that working. I'm, I'm not sure if I have a, 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 a great solution for yeah. you on that part. It's, it's definitely hard. It's... I'm, we have, we have really, I think, I think it's a, I'm not even sure we are, we are really strong. We are very focused and, and being better on that. Um, I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a good mix of, you know, you need to have the correct person, the right, correct personality in place. You need to build a correct culture in, in the team and in the company for kind of, going together and, and, and understanding where you want to go. We need to have a tooling in place. You need to have the visibility and transparency on what is really what sort of feedback and, and pain points that is coming back. So one, for instance, one thing we do, we have a, a week, uh, sorry, a monthly town hall where we present the Net Promoter score with all of the scores, with all the feedback. The Net Promoter scores is available for everybody to go in and if I look into the, to, to the comments. All of the the prioritization work happening in the product team is uh, is uh, is transparent and, and openly open to everybody in the company. But it's definitely, even though you have all of the structures, all of the the the, the systems in place, all of the kind of the the roles and responsibilities in place. By the end of the day, it comes down to execution and individual people kind of really executing or not executing according to it. So it's uh, I would not say that there is a civil bullet to that. It's just a lot of hard work. Yeah. And it's, an, it's never ending. I think like that kind of, uh, that alignment, if like, it's not a set it and forget exactly. it kind of thing. And yeah, like I could definitely see like, as long as you have people who understand what you're trying to do, uh, I think that's like, if you don't have that part, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to, um, 
And, you know, it's, um, I think, Brian, from, from all of this, we are talking a lot about the strategies. We're talking a lot about the structures and sort of the systems that we can put in place and, and sort of the roles that we can apply. But at the end of the day, is sort of uh, what type of culture do you, I want to implement in a company? And also one of the things that was has been very important for us from the early days is really be very I'm not sure if cautious is a good word in English, but sort of very focused or or clear about what type of culture we would like to adopt into the company. And 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 how we see it is sort of you always have a company culture, right? So what, what does that really mean? So it it basically means well, how do we behave, how do we act, and and more than anything, how does like the individual contributors act when I'm not in the room? Because that is what matters. It's easy for me to say, this is how we do it. And if nobody believes in that, they will do it when I'm there. But as soon as I'm not there, they will not do it. So it's sort of really building an understanding of what are we trying to achieve and why and and how does how we behave and how we are, you know, taking decisions on and taking decisions not the routine as well as what we talk about, what we don't talk about. And we are, we are spending quite a bit of time actually as a management team and also as a com- an entire company to kind of really put words into that, saying, okay, how do we live our company? How do we act in our company? What do we expect from each other? Uh, what is the behavior that is acceptable and what is sort of not acceptable behavior for us? I think that is also one of the measures, and, and this is not tied to open source enterprise. It's sort of tied to getting what you want to get done, uh, implemented into the company more than anything. So I think that is something most uh, leaders uh, will recognize. I mean, I, I think in the end, like uh, a lot of companies would have the same type of challenges, kind of you have different go-to-market models, but like people are people and a lot of the kind of core challenges will always be, will always be the same, I think, no matter what you're doing. So I'm actually going to end with like uh, asking a question that I always ask in the end. It's a little bit more on the philosophical side, I guess. Um, so, so what would be like one learning or insight that you've had that have significantly changed your perspective on business and or life? Wow. That's and uh, that's a hard one. Uh, I would say I'm not sure if this is really a proper answer to that question, but I would think one of the things I'm really trying to live by, both in a personal life as well as a professional life, is sort of never, never stop learning. Always sort of strive for getting feedback, understand what is sort of take the next step, be really open for new ideas as well as. So I think that sort of learning, pushing towards sort of outside of the comfort zone through testing new stuff, learning new stuff, challenging myself on, you know, one of the first rules in life, never apply the same playbook just because you know it. Understand what was the context of that playbook and why was that a great move at the time? And can you reuse some of that then? Or do you need to adapt something because the context is different? So I'm not sure if that is a proper answer to the question, but definitely some of those ways I want to live my life, both professional as well as, uh, as private, learn something every no, day. I, I, I love it. It's great. No, it's, uh, it's, it's supposed to be open for a reason because I don't want to steer too much into a certain wow. area. And it's always super interesting to hear how people kind of um, take that question, like in lack of better, better words in English. But yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure having you, um, Jan Egel. So where can people go if they want to find out more about you and your company and all that kind of good stuff? 
Yeah, I would say go to getunleashed.io. This is where we live. This is where you will find everything about our company and the product. It's a great product for developers and tech companies. And, you know, every company is a tech company these days. So everybody should go in and take a look. And um, I'm writing my, my fair share of blog posts there on, on management leadership. And I think that is a good way to start or connect to me with LinkedIn. It's also in quite active there. Awesome. Yeah, so great having you on, Emil. And uh, yeah, hope to have you on again in the future. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining us on today's episode of A Slice of SaaS. We're really grateful to have Egil giving us a peek behind the curtain of combining open source community values with the demands of enterprise sales. Our goal is always to provide you with insights that you can put into action. And I really hope that today's episode did just that. If you gained something from our talk, please share your thoughts with a review or by getting in touch with us. Your support really makes a difference. So catch it the next time for more straightforward discussions about helping your business grow. Until next time.